Let's get started. Um, this morning, I thought we might um, take a minute to look back over the year we've just enjoyed. Um, it's been a wild ride. Uh, we started off 2020 talking about money, um, which is interesting. It was a fun series. Uh, I spent the entire series promising you every week that you would hear stuff from the pulpit that you've never heard in church before um, as it concerns money. Um, I actually preached this series because a year before that, January of 2019, we were raising money for the remodel on this church. And so I talked about money a year before that, and I don't talk about money often, and I don't do it well. Um, but I thought it'd be fun one year later to talk about money again. We didn't really need money. We were in a solid financial position. So it wasn't uh, trying to leverage anything out of anybody. It was just for the sake of talking about the church's stance on money, especially as it concerns giving and such. And so if you weren't here for that, if you're new since then, um, I, I, I challenge you, go find that. It's on the, you can go to the website, uh, hit the media button, sermon audios, and you can go back that far and listen to those. Um, you might be surprised. After the money series, we did a series titled Why Church? Um, where we broke down the vision of Open Table, especially as it concerns the four relationships that were broken by sin in the fall. If you aren't familiar with these, they actually a, play a fairly large role um, here at Open Table. Um, we try to uh, target everything we do um, to bring health and redemption to those four areas. If you're not familiar with those, those are kind of the four things we see show up when Adam and Eve sin. As soon as they they broke the commandment, um, they looked down, and they were no longer comfortable in their own skin. They felt shame for the very first time ever. That's the broken relationship with the self, um, that we are no longer always comfortable with who we are. And and uh, at Open Table, part of our goal is to, is to heal that broken relationship. Um, and then God shows up, and they hide from him. They'd never done that before. They'd never run from God. And so we see that that broken relationship with God shows up um, as soon as God steps in the picture. And, uh, and that's the one maybe the church is most familiar with. And we work to kind of heal that broken relationship. Um, the next one, God asks them what happened. Um, Adam, who one chapter ago was singing a song about Eve, going, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. No longer will we be two, we'll be one. And, and he felt this connection to her. Now he's going, she's the one who did it. He's separating himself from her and saying, it was her that did it, not me. And you see the separation create. That's the broken relationship with the other. And we're pretty familiar with this one and the damage that it can do. And we're, uh, and we're seeing it all over our world, the damage of the broken relationship between us and the other. And then um, the last one is, is when God kind of explained to them what the fallout of this decision was going to look like. He said, from now on, um, you're going to struggle every day. And, and you're going to feed your family by the sweat of your brow. And and uh, women, you're going to struggle in your vocation. And we call it the broken relationship between us and, and kind of the created order or us and our vocation, where now work is work um, and it's hard. And so uh, we want to work to bring redemption to that um, relationship and, and hopefully get us in a place where we enjoy what we do in working for for the Lord. So um, we talked about those uh, a year ago, and they play a huge part. Um, in what we do here at Open Table. Finishing up uh, the Wide Church series brought us into Lent. Um, so we had our first Ash Wednesday here in this building. We had, uh, we had never done that here before, which was awesome, which launched us into our Lent series that we titled Roadblocks, um, which turned into an incredibly unique uh, series for us uh, because I preached most of it from my dining room table. 
Um, we looked at the lectionary passages and found that uh, most of them included something that typically gets in the way of our faith, struggles and challenges and things that, that make it hard um, to pursue God. And, uh, and so we, uh, it turned out to be incredibly timely as we were all having our faith tested um, by the first round of shutdowns and, and, and quarantines and, and full lockdowns. So we were absolutely positive the whole thing would blow over by Easter. Uh, I don't know if any of you remember that. Um, we were still making big Easter plans, and then as things started to look uh, uh, touchier, we decided we were going to do a big parking lot blowout. By the way, I still have your FM transmitter, Charlie. Um, <laughs> I borrowed Charlie's FM transmitter so we could do a huge parking lot Easter blowout, and then it rained on Easter. So Easter happened on a screen, uh, but... We still got to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Immediately after Easter, as quarantine was beginning to take a serious toll on us, we launched into uh, a series with my favorite series title ever, um, Hide and Seek, Learning to Seek God in Hiding. That was an awesome title. That was solid. Um, <laughs> where we looked at uh, times when the people of God were in some form of quarantine, uh, whether forced or voluntary, when they were hidden away, locked down, and the way they encountered God, whether it's in caves or hidden behind locked doors or um, in full isolation. And we talked about the way they found God in the belly of a whale. You know, we, the, these moments when the people of God were completely isolated and alone and still found God. And, and uh, so after we finished up the Hide and Seek series, um, uh, and the possibility of opening the church back up, and it looked like things were going to start opening back up, um, came. We recognized our world was in a broken mess. And uh, so we started talking about what rebuilding might look like. And uh, we did this as we studied the book of Nehemiah uh, in a series we titled Fixer Upper, because um, our world is a desperate fixer upper. Um, and as the church opened back up, we tried to, uh, I was trying to figure out what to preach next, and Esther was like, you know, you've been challenging people to pray more since this virus started. Maybe you need to teach people how to pray. <laughs> I felt completely inadequate to that task. And so I decided, we decided to study um, all the times in the Scripture where the Scripture records a prayer of Jesus, like out loud. Um, and we, we studied each of the times that Jesus prays. And we just kind of let Jesus teach us how to pray. We called that prayer a master class. Um, and then we follow that up by looking, taking a, kind of an in-depth look at upward prayers, also known as worship, in a series we titled Design for Worship, which led us into the series Surviving the Apocalypse. I just said something that made Siri happy. Oh, oh stop it. You may know how to turn Siri off. I'm not an Apple person. Maybe we just let her preach. There we go. Um, so in Surviving the Apocalypse, we looked at uh, times when the world collapses, uh, uh, whether it's a personal apocalypse, when it seems like our whole world comes to an end with that unique twist of everything just keeps going fine for everybody else, and, and we find ourselves in this kind of personal apocalypse. We looked at David and, and how... His life was just blessed until Saul throws a spear and everything falls apart in his world. He finds himself uh, a homeless exile um, running for his life. 
We talked about um, national apocalypse, especially that weird tension about the way God deals with individuals but also nations and the, and the weirdness that that puts on us. Esther taught us about um, global apocalypses as we, uh, as we talked about Noah and what he endured. And, and we wrapped everything up with the universal apocalypse um, known as the cross where the very Son of God was, was uh, put to death. Um, and how even that apocalypse was overcome by resurrection, which leaves us with absolutely nothing to fear. And after the apocalypse, we were into our saint series, Surrounded, and our Advent series, Created to Create. And uh, the studies we've done together um, don't even begin to tell the story of, of what we've lived through in 2020. Uh, if I had enough time um, and enough slideshow, I could put pictures up to represent all the struggles We've been through this year, but uh, that would take us well into 2021. Um, It's been a wild ride, and our New Year celebrations are supposed to be a time when we look back at the year that just passed. Uh, um, So as as I was looking for something to talk about that might fill kind of this one week between Advent and whatever we decide to talk about in January, um, I thought we would discuss uh, a famous biblical story where the people of God sat in a moment very similar to the one we sit in this morning. Um, Our passage comes from Exodus 15. If you want to follow in your own Bible, um, if not, the words will be on the screen. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. For the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and armies he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep water gushed over them, and they sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the water piled up. The surging water stood straight like a wall. And the heart of the sea, uh, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted, I will chase them and catch up with them. I will plunder them and consume them. I will flash my sword. My powerful hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath. And the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you led the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This is a famous psalm written by Moses immediately after passing through the Red Sea. Uh, In fact, um, this was maybe the greatest kind of release of tension in the entire Bible, except for maybe when the disciples saw Jesus risen. Uh, Think about what the Israelites had just been through. A guy shows up kind of out of nowhere and says he's going to free them, uh, but his first meeting with Pharaoh goes so poorly that not only are you not freed, but your workload is increased. The guy seems to get uh, mad and starts calling down plagues on the land. And the first several hurt you every bit as much as they hurt the Egyptians. 
finally it starts to seem like God is protecting you from the plagues. And in this final crazy move, you have to sacrifice a goat in your home and enjoy a very specific meal because you're so sure you're going to be freed tomorrow. As it turns out, you are freed, and miraculously so, because the Egyptians are so anxious to see you leave that they give you their stuff. You, you plunder them without having to draw a sword. They're, they're paying you to leave. So you grab everything you packed and as many spoils from the Egyptians and are throwing at you, and uh, you mostly just follow the crowd because you don't really know where you're going. Having been born a slave, you haven't had much time to travel. They're kind of having a party downstairs. It's going to be a little noisy today, so bear with them. And the crowd leads you to a dead end. To make it worse, there's this suspicious-looking dust cloud off in the horizon that looks an awful lot like the type of cloud an army stirs up. As the entire crowd squeezes toward the sea, you start to figure out just how bad things are getting. You have a body of water in front of you, an army behind you. And you think back to that crazy desert man coming in and saying he's going to set you free. And yes, you have seen God do some amazing things over the last few weeks, but all of that is starting to look like a trick to get you killed out of the frying pan and into the fire. Your entire life has been predictable, hard, but predictable. And now because Moses strolls into town, everything gets turned upside down. And suddenly, everything changes. This absurd pillar of fire drops from the sky, blocking the army from you. And Moses puts his staff in the water, and the waters start to move. And as you stand on the opposite shore of that sea, this long, crazy season full of plagues and risks and fears and loss and surprise and a whole lot of doubt And you watch the armor and flags and chariots and every other symbol of your oppression drift away on the sea. And for the first time, you realize how much tension you've been holding. And you breathe and breathe and breathe. And of course, someone eventually starts to sing. And this is the scene in which Moses is singing. This this incredible release of tension at the end of a a major trial. And something about this song sung on the backside of the Red Sea, barely escaping not only slavery but annihilation, mixed with the idea of us standing here this morning with 360 days of 2020 behind us. Those things kind of combined in my head to give me the title of today's sermon, Hell in the Rearview Mirror. Use this unless it go crazy. And I may actually try something because I forgot to load it in the computer. What does it feel like to look back and realize you made it? Past year was hell and we made it through. If you're Moses, you sing a song in that moment. Your people are free, the plagues are over, the enemy's army is destroyed. You are an autonomous people for the first time since Jacob was alive. And the only appropriate response is to sing and dance and party. And in a lot of ways, I think that's what New Year's Eve is. It's a way of standing on the backside of a challenge and celebrating the fact that you made it through. But, (laughs) yes, that is a terrible word, but. 
As I recently learned while teaching Grace to Drive, you can spend too much time looking in the rearview mirror. Maybe the third or fourth time that Grace drove, I decided to have her drive on the highway. We were at Walmart, and we were just in Gardner and just coming down to Edgerton. So it, it was an easy drive on the highway, off the highway. No craziness. It was nighttime, so there shouldn't be much traffic. And she was doing fine until a semi passed her, uh, at which time she lost it. Had no idea how big they seemed and how fast it felt like they were going and the wind and the whole thing. She kind of lost it. It was, uh, it was pretty terrifying um, for me. But the best part uh, was not only did it glue Grace, uh, not only was it scary, but it glued her to the rearview mirror. She was, she was freaking out at the thought of another semi-passing her. And so she's just staring in the rearview mirror, which also alerted her sister Rebecca, who loves her so, so much, to start recording. <laughs> and I'm going to see... I, I had to clean a couple cuss words out of the audio. Um, I was going to load it on the computer, but I forgot. So we're going to try this and just see what happens. I sent it to my wife last night, so I should be able to pull it up. Didn't I? Oh, I emailed it. Let's see if this works. I'm staying put. I'm staying put. I'm going 70. I'm not staying put. This wind, slow down because now you got him. Oh, we're going this. Really great. Those are the four points. Oh, my God. 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 This will make me laugh. I just spit into this. Oh. What? You can't just say nothing. Pray for me. <laughs> I have seven more kids to teach to drive. It is possible to spend too much time focusing on what's in the rearview mirror. But it doesn't seem like Moses does that. Uh, his song feels completely appropriate. But before this chapter ends, everything changes. It reads like this. Then Moses led the people of Israel. Now they just sang this triumphant song. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in the, de in the desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis at Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. It's like the music is barely faded, barely died out, and the people are forcing 
they're facing yet another challenge. And they don't like it. And you can call them ungrateful, as we usually do when we read these stories, but when was the last time any of us didn't have tap water at our disposal? This is truly scary stuff, to be in a desert with no water. And God comes through for his people. He tells Moses to throw some wood in the water, and when Moses obeys, the water is clean. And when Moses releases the people to drink, he tells them, if you will be patient and obey the Lord, he will take care of you, and all shall be well. Until literally the very next set of verses. This is only a couple verses later. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin, between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat with pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. And now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Like literally no time has passed since God did a miracle in the spring of Mara and they're being tempted again and they, and they judge. And, when, and again, we have a tendency to, to look at this and, and click our tongues and shake our heads, but most of us, even if we don't have much, have food to eat. You know, very few of us go without a meal because we can't afford one. And, and here they are. Their fear is not unwarranted. But God comes through again. He sends manna from heaven to feed his people. This is a bald miracle, just food laying on the ground every morning. And all they have to do is scoop it up and eat. And it tastes like honey cakes, which I don't know what that is, but it sounds amazing. Sounds delicious. Hell is in the rearview mirror, and you have honey cakes in your lunchbox every day. What else could get you down? Well, the very next chapter starts like this. It says, And the Lord... The Lord's command, the whole community of Israel, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped in Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now it's starting to get a little old, right? The people have no track record of God failing them. And yet they complain. But they were born with absolutely nothing. And it can be hard to believe God when slavery is all they've ever known. And despite the fact that they seem to doubt God at every turn of the road, they get to see yet another miracle. Moses hits a rock with a stick and it becomes a drinking fountain. But I think what I love most about these Old Testament stories when we read them, even though it seems like they're portraying uh, a really finicky people, what I love most is the way we react to them. Because it can be so easy to stand outside the story and just wonder at how the Israelites could have gone through all that they went through and could have witnessed everything they just witnessed and still doubt. I, I judge these stories all the time. I, I react poorly to these stories all the time. I feel like if I could have seen a hiking path get blown into the middle of a body of water, I would never doubt again. 
I would even settle for that like soup trick that they do on Bruce Almighty. Like, if I could just see that once, I think I would be solid. And yet, I said that because I got tired of saying but every time I want to make a drastic transition. And yet, are we any different? Here we stand at the tail end of 2020, which I have to tell you, did not turn out the way I'd hoped. When I preached the In God We Trust series, we didn't need money. We were doing great, but what we needed was help. And so what we did was we asked people to help and sign up and volunteer. And man, it went amazing. People signed up for things. We had rotations in every department. Like It felt like for the first time we're going to get things running smoothly. We got all the pieces in place for everything to go great. And like two weeks later, I'm sitting at my dining room table trying to figure out how live stream works. I'd never live streamed anything in my life. You know, I'm like, do I hit the live? What do I hit? You know. We knew, or who knew we would have a global pandemic? Race riots, murder hornets, outrageous forest fires, lockdowns, stock market collapses, business closures. Businesses that are trying to stay open have been struggling with their staff because they're quarantined every other week. And an entire year of students who have seen their grades and their opportunities vanish. And that's not even to mention those of us who have lost people. Add to that the challenges that, that our congregation has had just with personal life. that had nothing to do with the pandemic. We've had an inordinately rough year just in our people. And it starts to look like the Egyptian plagues, just one thing after another. But, and this time it's a good but, but here we are. We made it through. 2020 is in the rearview mirror. We just celebrated Christmas and we rejoiced that our Savior came for us and did not leave us alone. We made it through. And before you think, yeah, but I lost this and I can no longer do that and I, I, it took such a toll on me. Remember those Israelites who, were never, who never quite reacted the way we thought they should. They went through hell and I'm sure they talked about it. I'm sure there were Israelites who, who were posting memes. If 1320 was a slide, you've seen these, if 2020 was a, you know, 2020 was a slide. I changed the 1320. That's about when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. The 1320 was a slide. But now they're free. And immediately their brains go back to what they lost. What they could no longer have access to. And when we read those paragraphs, we have such a tendency to feel like we would be different. So here's our chance to prove that we would have done things differently. We have a new year ahead of us. We, we have stories like these stories, like this story of the Israelites to read and meditate on, to remind us of God's faithfulness to Israel, how it never really changed. He wasn't faithful to them while he was delivering from Egypt and then just set them free in the wilderness to walk by themselves. He walked with them every step of the way, facing every new challenge with them. God was with them in the desert every bit as much as the Exodus. God was there proving his faithfulness with each new trial. And we get to witness that story in the word of God. 
The beauty of moments like these is that we get to look back at Israel's story with a bird's eye view. We get to see the whole thing. What happened before this song of Moses? What happened next? Which means right here, right now where we stand in 2020, we can do the same thing. We can't change the details of everything that happened this year. It's been a rough year. Those things happen. They're setting the stone of history. But we get to decide if we look back and say 2020 was the year God abandoned us. Or we get to look back and say, like Moses sang, that was the year God was a warrior. He was my strength and my song. He gave me the victory. But if this story teaches us anything, it teaches us that there is a hell in the rearview mirror and there are challenges in the windshield. Think about it. The Israelites didn't go through the plagues and then immediately just fall into the promised land and swim in milk and honey, which sounds disgusting. They went from the greatest victory probably in history and they ran straight into a new struggle. And there's no reason to expect any different. 2020 is behind us, but I guarantee you there are new struggles ahead. So with hell in the rearview mirror, new challenges in the windshield, we get to decide what to do with this moment in between. We can either complain with the Israelites about what we've lost, or we can sing with Moses about how amazing our God is for seeing us through. Knowing that God is going to face the upcoming struggles with us as well. The choice is ours. The most beautiful part of the whole thing is that we can't, or we can, we get to make that decision every single day. Pretty much every single day, there are trials behind us that we made it through, and there are struggles ahead that we're going to have to face. And we get to decide what we want to do in the middle. And this is not pie in the sky, don't worry, be happy type stuff. We can we can own that we went through hard stuff. We can accept that there's more ahead. And even in the midst of being that authentic, that 2020 sucked and I'm nervous about 2021, we can still celebrate a God who goes with us. This is what it meant to be a Christian in the early church. This is what, this is what they talked about. They watched Jesus die, wrongly accused, horribly beaten and killed. The disciples had no reason to expect it would be any different for them. And instead, they got to witness the miracle. They met and spoke with and touched the resurrected Savior and got to see firsthand that God has overcome death. With the hell of Jesus' passion in their recent memories and the shocked joy of his resurrection, the biggest reality in their minds, they started preaching and they got arrested and beaten and sometimes freed by angels and sometimes not. They were chased all over kingdom come and suffered all manner of abuses. They had the hell of what Jesus went through in their rearview mirrors. And thanks to the resurrection, they stood in a moment between that and all the challenges to come. And they refused to shrink back. They met every challenge with the gospel of Jesus Christ on their lips. They prayed and worshipped and served and studied and they kept showing up. And the one thing that separates them from the ancient Israelites is that the apostles had learned 
that this is what life with God looks like. Which is why Paul could say something like this so boldly. Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope does not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And did you hear that one verse? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. This is where it's different where we stand than where the ancient Israelites stand. Every time they hit a new trial, every time they hit a new struggle, they look back. Why did we leave? What did we lose? What have we lost? What, what's changed? What's no longer right? And Paul said we can actually rejoice in those moments. He stands with Moses. We can sing in this frozen moment, knowing there's challenges ahead, of course. But we can sing. This is the difference between the Old Testament Israelites and the Apostle Paul. I totally get where the Israelites are coming from. I've done this exact thing myself. I've prayed for people. They'll call and give me a prayer request, and I will pour myself into it, and I'll get a call the next day that something amazing happened, and I'm, I'm, my faith is through the roof excited that God answered the prayer. And then I get the next prayer request that comes in. I'm like, oh, God, where are you? Why are these things happening? Paul saw it differently. Paul said each of those hard times has a purpose. They work something in us. They change us. They strengthen us. Every time we see God show up, it solidifies our faith more and more. Before long, if we find ourselves in the same situation as the Israelites where we're trapped against the Red Sea, we say things like, this is terrifying. We are moments from death. I cannot wait to see how God gets us out of this one. Or I am really thirsty. I'm getting a little weak from lack of food. My hunger pains are brutal. The end of the road is not far ahead. It's going to feel so amazing when God swoops in and saves us. I cannot wait to sing about that. We have a hard time finding one of the people of God in the stories recorded in Scripture who doesn't have hell in his rearview mirror and new challenges ahead. The moments we celebrate, the moments we talk about, the moments we teach on, the frozen moments are when they stop in the space between and rejoice and sing and celebrate that God is faithful. So how do we respond to this? And this will be a short response today. We're doing good. I can ramble for a while. No, I'm kidding. The Jewish festival of Passover is a very interesting meal because it's a celebration. And it comes with all kinds of family fun and traditions and no one works. And all in all, it's a very positive, festive experience. They take a little piece of the, of the bread and they hide it somewhere in the house and the kids run around hunting for it and looking for it. And it's a very fun event. But if you look at the elements that the Jews remember and really accent in the meal and hand down to their children, they're the moments that are really, really challenging. 
They eat bitter herbs to remember the bitterness of slavery. They dip them in salt water to remember their tears. They have this dip that they dip some matzah in that's symbolic of the mud they had to use to make bricks in their slavery. They eat this little symbolic sandwich that reminds them of how fast they had to flee Egypt. They didn't even have time to make a meal. They had to make a sandwich. They basically stop to celebrate the hell in the rearview mirror. And don't we do the same at the Lord's table? Think about it. We gather every single week to celebrate a beating and a death, a broken body, spilled blood. Why is this horrendous act something we want to remember? remember Jesus' body and blood because these are the elements that mean, and we're not speaking metaphorically, these are the elements that mean hell is in our rearview mirror. What other challenge can we face that tops that? If you know Jesus Christ, hell is in your rearview mirror. So here's how I would love to respond to this message. Go home and have a 2020 is over party. Raise the roof. They still say that? Probably not. Only Probably only people my age. Yeah. Above all else, start to reframe the way you think and talk about this past year. Change the narrative from 2020 was hell to God gave us the victory. Amen? Let's go to the table.